Welcome to another Books and Culture podcast with Books and Culture's editor, John Wilson. I'm Stan Guthrie. And John, this time we're going to be talking about coming attractions. This will be our third installment of coming attractions. And today we're going to focus on Andy Crouch's new book, Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. That's right, Stan. Books pour into my office every day, and I'm blessed to see many books that are extremely interesting, as well as some that are not so interesting. (laughs) Every once in a while, it's really rare, I come across a book that changes my understanding of the world. You know, it doesn't happen often, but Andy Crouch's book on power is one of those books. I told Andy, he and I did a video interview for InterVarsity that is coming out later this month sometime. The book is going to be published in September. And as he was driving us over to the place where the interview was going to be, I told him that if this book had not been by him or by someone else who I always read, whatever they're writing about. You know, like John McPhee writes a book about the Merchant Marine. Right. Well, normally I wouldn't read a book about the Merchant Marine, but John McPhee writes it, I'll read it. And if someone said, well, here's this book about power, redeeming the gift of power, I wouldn't have even picked it up. In a way, that speaks to the need for the book. (laughs) Because one of the points that Andy makes early on is that on the one hand, in certain settings especially, we talk about power all the time. So for instance, particularly in academic settings, there has been an enormous attention in the last generation to power. And in that setting, it's usually conceived as reflecting a zero-sum game, where if I get more, that means there's less for you. Much of the academic study of power has to do with exposing power relations and seeking to show how someone who's operating, let's say, in a so-called liberal democracy, how they may be operating under this bland facade, whereas what's really going on is they're exercising their power at the expense of others who are losing. That kind of analysis is, as Andy points out, very widespread. On the other hand, at the same time, and this is particularly true in Christian circles, but not only, a lot of people don't really want to think about power. It makes them uncomfortable. They just don't want to think about it that much. Andy mentions talking with a pastor who's a very influential and you could say powerful figure about how do you handle power and the pastor, oh, I'm not powerful, you know, I'm, I'm a servant leader. and <laughs> So, in other words, rather than thinking in depth about the reality of power and how it's exercised in a congregation, let's say, he simply denies that he's exercising power. And I would put myself in the category of people who, for various reasons, don't think about the subject that much. And Andy's book helped me to begin to change that. I want to say to our listeners that whether or not you think this is a book that would interest you, I think you'll find that it's really a profound study of something that is 
an essential part of our lives. What is Andy's basic approach to the subject? Well, as the title suggests, the title has a double meaning, playing God. On the one hand, it means the way we usually use the phrase, playing God means that you have arrogated to yourself a kind of idolatrous power in other people's lives. That's power exercised wrongly. On the other hand, God wants us to play God. (laughs) That is, he's created us, and there's a wonderful passage that Andy quotes from Peter that talks about participation in the divine nature, Uh something that evangelicals have sometimes tended to be a little nervous about. So Andy says, rightly, I think, that power is both worse and better than we think. Mm. That is, we all commonly know that power can be abused. That's hardly a revelation. And yet the deep, deep effects of power abused are even worse than we often recognize. And then on the other hand, when power is used as God intends it to be used, it is wonderful and liberating and even better than we imagine. How does he present his findings? Has he talked to a bunch of pastors, academics? What is his basic approach? Well, there's I find a, it intriguing. There's a story that I won't try to retell right near the beginning of a trip he has to India that, in a sense, was the germ for the book. On this trip, he witnesses both the effects of abuses of power and of power used the way that God designed it to be used. Mm. He then unpacks power throughout the book. At certain intervals, he pulls back and uses a passage in Scripture to illuminate what he's been talking about. There are references to Scripture throughout, but he'll focus on a specific passage. It's done extremely well, and one of those has to do with the miracle of the water being turned into wine. He talks about the way in which that miracle tells us some things about power used in God's way. He says, Jesus' power does not flow through predictable channels. So that's one thing that you see in this story of the water turned into wine, and it's true in general. Jesus' power leads to overflow, abundance, and excellence, that is, to flourishing. So there are so many stories in the Bible, the feeding of the 5,000 and so on, where it's not just a matter of Jesus meeting needs, but giving more than we could ever imagine. Jesus' power is hidden even as it is revealed. And he points out that probably the vast majority of the people who were at this wedding feast had no idea what had happened except that good wine was surprisingly brought out (laughs) later on in the evening. That's particularly important because we often wonder, well, why doesn't God just swoop down and exercise his power in a way that's blatantly obvious? Early on, he talks about power in a way that was very unexpected to me. It's not the way that I normally think of power, that I normally hear people talk about it. And he says, power is all about image-bearing, reflecting and refracting the creative power of the world's maker, capital M, into the very good creation. And then a little later he says, what God hates 
is the loss of the true image. He hates that the poor, who have infinite value as image bearers in their own right, become devalued and commoditized. And then just a little bit after that, ultimately, the reason for both the work of evangelism and the work of justice is not simply the relief of suffering, whether present or eternal. It is the restoration of God's true image in the world, made known in the one true image and icon, Jesus Christ, and refracted and reflected in fruitful, multiplying image bearers set free by his death and resurrection to reclaim their true calling. So that's the core message of the book. I dislike, very much dislike, hype in talking about books. And yet, on the other hand, when a book does change your understanding in some basic way. I think it's really important to say that. (laughs) And so for me, at least, now for some readers, they may already have thought these things through. I think they still would appreciate and learn from Andy's book, even so. But I suspect many will be in the same position I was, that this will be, oh, my goodness, I just had never thought of it that way. I had never seen it that way. I've read through the galley twice, I'm sure I'm going to read through it more, but it's that kind of book. To take something from the title, it's an exceptionally powerful book. And you'll be reviewing it somewhere online. Tyler Wig Stevenson, I'm very happy to say, who I've been looking forward to getting in the pages of Books and Culture, will be reviewing it for us. And I hope the review will come in time so that it'll be able to be in our November-December issue. It makes a great Christmas present, right? Yeah. Thank you, John. Thanks, Dan.